Welcome into another episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we see that highly pathogenic avian influenza, that recent outbreak, is causing a short supply of eggs, which is leading to higher prices for consumers at the grocery store. According to American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barrett Nelson, the key factor is inventory of laying hens. Avian influenza has really affected now just over 58 million birds since it began about a year ago in February of 2022. Egg prices have skyrocketed recently with the national averages up right around 49% from last year. So consumers have been paying, in some cases, nearly double what they had in past years. So what's causing the rise in egg prices? Really the decreased layer inventory due to avian influenza. That's the primary factor. And egg demand is projected to increase 7% this year. So to lower egg prices, Nelson says supplies would need to move higher. What would have to happen for a slowdown in prices to occur would be a slowdown in the outbreaks of avian influenza. So what we'll really be watching for is a slowdown in avian influenza going into the spring months so that the inventory has some time to rebuild. That would be most helpful in keeping prices down. For poultry farmers, Nelson says they are also facing increased production costs. These outbreaks have been devastating. When we talk about an outbreak occurring on a farm where you're faced with the risk of depopulation, that combined with the effects of increased input costs, and that really increases break-even prices, especially when we think about covering our cost of production. And again, that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barrett Nelson. Well, every January, Farm Futures releases a survey of planting intentions for the upcoming spring. Jacqueline Holland is a grain market analyst with Farm Futures, and she talks about their 2023 survey results. We found that the larger wheat crop expected will probably put a ceiling on corn and soybean acres in 2023, but also that high input prices are also a limiting factor for corn and soybean production as well. For corn, we're looking at 90.5 million acres. For soybeans, that's 88.9 million acres. Winter wheat, we calculated 34.9 million acres. And spring wheat, which includes hard red spring, white spring wheat, and durum wheat, that number we're looking at 13.9 million acres. So a total of 228.3 million acres for all three principal crops. Holland says their wheat number was somewhat unexpected. I was a little surprised when our numbers came in a little bit lower than USCA's winter wheat calculation at the beginning of January. However, if you go back and look at Chicago winter wheat futures prices during peak planting season last October, they were 25% higher than a year ago. And at that time, input costs for corn and soybeans were still on the uptick. So that isn't exactly a surprise. And when you go back and look at some of the outside factors impacting these crop markets, but I think what was even more surprising was just how narrow the gap was between corn and soybean acres for next year. And a lot of the respondents already had their spring plans in place before 2023. 70% of our growers said that they had already locked in their rotation for the upcoming year and really weren't expecting to make any last minute changes. I think that growers who are outside of the traditional corn soybean states, like in the Eastern Corn Belt, in the I states, 
I think those are areas where there is a little bit more flexibility with rotation. And I think in those areas, I think small grains are going to probably be a little bit more competitive with corn and soybean returns, especially if input costs are a constraint in those areas. And Holland says their estimates are showing the potential for a very large soybean crop. I use slightly different trend line yields than some of USDA's baseline calculations in our estimates. I found that even with 88.9 million acres planted of soybeans, that that would still generate a record large U.S. soybean crop. And I think if that's the case, I think we could maybe see some of the supply pressures that we've seen really weigh on these commodity markets. I think we could see that ease back a little bit. Again, that's Jacqueline Holland of Farm Futures. Well, state and regional cattle groups, along with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, are suing the Biden administration over the Lesser Prairie Chicken Endangered Species Listing Proposal. NCBA Associate Director for Governmental Affairs, Seager Johan, says the proposal will create complications for the beef industry. First and foremost, the numbers of lesser prairie chickens that are out there thriving on rangeland at every different life stage that they go through are thriving in pasture, in the same sort of rangelands and you know varying, uh, varying diverse grasslands that are cultivated by cattle producers. They don't live in cropland, you know, they don't live in those very uniform grasslands. They gravitate to the areas where cattle producers are actively working to, you know, to cultivate a, a profile of vegetation that's beneficial beneficial not just to livestock, but to the lesser prairie chicken and and a great many other wildlife species. NCBA is also concerned, Johan says, with the way the listing was written and the dangerous precedent that this listing could set for other bird species, such as the sage grouse. We think this line between the northern distinct population segment and the southern distinct population segment is pretty arbitrary. There's not a whole lot of genomic or geospatial evidence to support the division of those two groups of birds. And second of all, the 4D rule that's been written for that northern DPS is hugely overreaching and really poses a lot of concerns for us about the power that fish and wildlife is giving away to third parties to oversee the way that private landowners graze on their ranches in those in those states. Johan says 4D rules generally allow for industries like agriculture to continue their normal activities within reason where there might be a habitat for a listed species, but this 4D rule does the opposite. It does not really help cattle producers uh, comply with the listing, and it puts an unnecessary level of restriction on their day-to-day operations. This particular rule is saying that you will not qualify for those legal protections that the 4D rule is designed to provide. That's the purpose of this. You will not get those protections unless you are following a grazing management plan that has been approved by a third party. And again, that is comments with NCBA Associate Director for Governmental Affairs, Sigrid Johans. And speaking of NCBA, looking forward to this week, we're going to be in New Orleans for the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. And it's going to be a busy few days. We're going to talk to a lot of folks throughout the cattle beef industry, talking markets, talking animal health, talking policy, and much, much more. So definitely uh, look forward to coverage from the NCBA trade show and cattle industry convention here over the next few episodes uh, on American Ag Today. We'll be sharing some of that here in the coming days and weeks ahead. 
Well, that's going to do it for this episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you and yours a great rest of your day.